I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. Today, we are learning why God needs us. Because as you'll see, He really, really needs us. Um, now, before you start writing your angry email, just hold on, give me a chance, because before we get to that, God doesn't need any, God doesn't need anybody, he's God. Okay, just hold, hold your fingers and answer me this. Do you despise the riches of God's kindness? Do you despise the riches of God's kindness? I myself, uh, boy, have I thought about this long and hard this week. Uh, I find it shockingly, disgustingly easy to do, to despise the riches of his kindness. And that is because, and I'm being completely honest, it's because we do that by passing judgment, which is very different. I thought we might need some balance. Very different from the fruit inspecting we were talking about last Sunday. Passing judgment is when we render a verdict in our heart regarding someone else's heart. You know, as though we're the final authority rather than a recovering sinner in the same boat. And even though, even though it seems so very easy to justify and excuse, well, you have no excuse, whoever you are. <laughs> you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, the self-appointed, but the judge now, are doing the very same things, just under different headings. But the same things. So why do you do it? Why do you do it? He, he's, he's asking, one, do you imagine whoever you are, do you imagine whoever you are that uh, you will escape the judgment of God? Is that why you do that? Is that why you, you, you pass judgment? Because you think you're going to escape the judgment of God? Well, I'm in Christ. Yeah. But haven't you read? In Christ, we, we experience the consequences down here as discipline. And in some way, which we're not completely clear on, we lose something up there. We suffer loss even when we're saved. So is that, is that why you do it? Or two, well, do you just despise the, uh, the riches of his kindness? Do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance, that long-suffering, and patience regarding everyone's ongoing sin? Do, do you not realize you're in the same boat? You know, is that the problem here? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repent? Have, have I not internalized that? Am I just aiming it at other people? You see, his kindness is meant to lead me and you to repentance. Uh, once, as we saw last Sunday, once unto new birth to be made perfect in Christ and then daily unto maturity to be made holy like Christ. 
And then he says, but by your hard and impenitent, that means defiant, heart. This is a big warning here. You're storing up wrath for yourself. For God shows no partiality, but we sure do. <laughs> I know that from personal experience. We do because he judges the heart that we can't see. We, we judge what we see on the outside. But as, we, as we've been looking at and seeing, a person is a Jew, and that means a truly chosen child of God, who is one inwardly. And real circumcision is a matter of the heart. It is spiritual and not literal. Um, I, I grew up here. This is where I've, I've lived. I, I grew up in the youth house. Just moved there when I was two years old. And this was all wrecking yard before it was a church. And I just got to tell you, growing up in the youth house, Pops was here first service, and we were just laughing out loud at this. Our back porch was just overrun with wild, feral, wrecking yard cats that looked very similar to that. These things were wild, and they kept the rodent population in check. There's a very necessary component of a junkyard. You couldn't pet them. I'll tell you, you couldn't catch them. But we could, my sister and I, we could catch the smallest, sickest, and most likely most diseased. They, they were, they, they're the ones you could catch. And I always wanted to take them to the vet, but that wasn't practical. That wasn't practical. We tried that once, the vet, the vet knew it needed to be put down. They're too far gone. When you can catch it, it's too far gone. So mom opted for the shotgun. She was very practical that way. So my sister and I, we try to rescue. We'd, we'd take these things, we'd put them in a box. We had a box in our garage. Put them under a little towel for a blanket and try to treat them. You know, well, tides and bullets. <laughs> that was the hardest part, really, about taking care of these things, mom that shotgun. Um, <laughs> I, oh, but I have these memories of getting up. We, when, when, boy, it seems like we just always had one in there. And I'd get up in the morning and run out to the garage and reach into the box, you know, put your hand in there, hoping to touch something soft and warm and preferably moving. And it was most often not the case. Most often not the case. And so early on I learned the cold hard fact that dead things are cold and hard. And, in, and the reverse of that, living things are warm and soft. And one is sad and one is happy. Which is why Jesus is so very concerned that our heart remains soft and warm to his touch. Because hardness of heart is spiritual death. Let's read that together. Hardness of heart is spiritual death. And he tells us that he came to replace it, that hard heart. He came to replace it with something soft and warm and moving says in Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart, one that's pliable, and put a new spirit in you to mold you and make you holy. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you. I will move you to follow my decrees. They're not going to be religious check marks. It's going to be relationship. 
And then he says elsewhere in Ezekiel, do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God? Because sometimes we think that's how he feels. And not that he should turn from his ways and live. Do you not know who I am? Repent and turn, therefore. Where am I at? Wicked should I, Lord, not turn from his ways. Okay. Repent and turn from all your transgressions. And get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. I love that line. We, all, we always quote the other one. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. We don't quote this one that much. Get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. Because you could just have it. It's freely offered. Whoever you are. <laughs> and that's something that no religious ritual can, can accomplish. But it is the very definition of circumcision of the heart. At Pentecost. Have you ever noticed this? Uh, Peter told the crowd there. Uh, thousands. That they had despised God's word. When they crucified Christ. And it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. A circumcision of the heart. They were cut to the heart because it's spiritual, not literal. And Jesus only brings life when his word cuts to the heart. Otherwise, just some religious, I don't know, something grown cold and <laughs> stiff. You ever make something out of clay? You know, maybe clear back when you're a kid, or maybe you currently are. You know how you, you, you need to knead it to make it soft and warm and pliable so you can form it into uh, the thing you intend it to be? And as soon as you set it down, it immediately starts setting up and, and growing cold again? Well, guess what? Guess what? We, we are the clay. You, oh Lord our Father, are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And that is why God needs us. He really needs us. Do you get it? I'm spelling it K-N-E-A-D. He needs us. Uh, I am never going to your church. Wait, what? Oh, K-N-E. Delete, 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 delete. You're the best pastor ever. I love this church. <laughs> That's only funny because it's so true. Um, <laughs> signed fickle <laughs> this is all for me right now okay and that's why he needs us because we really need to be needed and softened and that's not pleasant but we need it and that's why you and I need to put ourselves into his hands spiritual, spiritual not literal into his hands every morning that's literal not spiritual <laughs> to be needed and molded and slowly made holy bump 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 turn us around Lord turn us around because the moment that we, as the clay, set him aside as the potter, telling ourselves we're not needing his needing, we're starting to go cold. And beware, beware. We can rationalize our rigor mortis like nobody's business. Hey, you're growing cold. Hey, that's nobody's business. That's my point. Boy, we can rationalize it. His spirit just, you know, in that bump, that bump, that's just his spirit softly, gently whispering, 
you need to, you need to just soften a bump toward, toward this person over here. And we very politely, softly reply, no thank you. No thank you, Lord. Unaware of the stone formation steadily encasing our heart. Salvation is by grace through faith. But as we saw last Sunday, that's where it starts. That's where it begins. That's not where it ends. We saw these scriptures. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Ephesians says, for we, we are God's workmanship created in Christ. New creature in Christ, reborn in Christ Jesus to do good works. Faith works. We talked about it last week. Faith works. It comes after the salvation. We can't earn or add to our salvation, but we need to add daily to our faith to remain pliable in Dad's hands so that through His Word, through His Word, the knowledge that comes by His Word, we, He can mold us into what he, he intends us to be. Peter says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge, that, through our Bible knowledge, because that's where we get it, through our Bible knowledge of him. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. It's like, oh, you're saved? Okay, can we add goodness to that? You know, can you just desire to be holy? Desire to be made mature? Yeah, I can add that. Okay. And then to goodness, let's add Bible knowledge. Okay? And to Bible knowledge, self-control. You know, just as you do what you trust to be true. Just, you know, put it in practice. And to self-control, perseverance. Come on, you can do it. Keep going. And the perseverance then, well, godliness, as, as you begin to resemble him. Huh. And to godliness then, well, brotherly kindness. As you extend the riches of his kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Love. Because guess what? That's what, that's what he was making. That's what he's making. That's the holiness. He's making you holy. He's making you love. What do you think he was making? An ashtray? He's uh, the clay. He's turning you into love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your Bible knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, because these are the things that soften us inside. Because otherwise, I mean, you know, the real battle down here is you're getting softer, you're getting harder. Which, which way is that heart going? Who, uh, who'd get your vote for the most hardened heart in the Bible? Not the people around you. Who'd get your vote for the most hardened heart in the Bible? I think a, a good guess would be Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh, because most of us, you know, know this, this disturbing scripture. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But 
I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. People get all crazy about this statement there. Wow, do people get crazy on that? Like God wires, God wires certain souls uh, to be rebellious and to reject him, which flies in the face of everything we know about God from Scripture. But different scriptures regarding the very same thing, the same event, say things like uh, when Pharaoh saw, and, and listen closely, when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart. <clears throat> and when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So how'd God harden Pharaoh's heart? Did God harden Pharaoh's heart or did Pharaoh harden Pharaoh's heart? The answer is yes. Yes, absolutely. And here's, and here's your scripture to make it make sense. Because the sentence against an evil work, that's like God's judgment. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Yeah, he saw that the rain ceased. He saw there was relief. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men who despise the riches of God's kindness and patience, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Oh my goodness, he hardens us by giving us grace and mercy. And we despise it. So he doesn't want to harden us. He wants to save us. But he gives us mercy and grace and patience, and we despise it. And that hardens us. Fully set, it says, the heart is fully set like the bricks and mortar they were making and baking in the sun for Pharaoh, or like the rigor mortis setting in throughout the land because of all the plagues. So, how did God move Moses with his mercy and his authority? And how did God harden Pharaoh? Same way, with his mercy and with his authority, because as we've seen before, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. So all God had to do was raise up a guy on the throne who'd choose to resist of his own free will and despise God's grace when he withheld his wrath. You see, Dad didn't violate Pharaoh's will. He accommodated it. Ouch. You ever wonder why God didn't just wipe them out? Just take the Egyptians out? You know, 10 plagues. Really? Took 10? Why not just start with the plague of hammers to the head and be done? Okay, let them go. Let them go. Well, one, I guess it wasn't hammer time. Break it down. Also... Also, do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? That's why 10. He want, you know how many Egyptians left, got saved and left with the, the people? We're told, oh, tons of Egyptians left with them. That's why. That's why. But Pharaoh was hardened. You know, and you, you go back and you reread it. It's like, oh, God is just saying... Uh-huh. Go do all those wonders 
and I'll harden him. You know, it's really tragic, but I'll harden, I'll harden him just by being gracious and kind. Don't be despising the riches of his kindness. Plus, if God had, if God had just wiped him out, his kids would have never left. They, the, the children of Israel, they would have stayed put. Have you read the story? These guys, they didn't want to go. And then they kept trying to go back into bondage. I'm sure glad that's not an analogy for us. <laughs> they kept trying to go back into bondage. Boy, some people's kids, huh? So you have to understand, dad didn't need Pharaoh, and I'm still spelling it K-N-E-A-D, by the way. Dad didn't need Pharaoh to release them. He needed Pharaoh to remove them. You see, the Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. That's what he needed. But man, how often do you and I force dad to drive us to do his perfect will for our eternal best? You know, when Moses and Pharaoh came face to face with his mercy and authority, Moses saw a promise while Pharaoh saw a threat. So one heart softened and one hardened. But understand, the desire of the heart determined that outcome. Which is why so many who were waiting for a Messiah rejected Jesus. Paul writes, what Israel sought so earnestly, it did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened. They were hardened like concrete. Like everyone who is set in their own way and unwilling to submit to the way. You know what Israel sought so earnestly? They didn't get it. You know what they sought so earnestly? Righteousness, just right standing in, in God's eyes. Righteousness. But tragically, uh, when they came face to face with its very personification, the guy who could give them that, their hearts saw a threat instead of a promise. And so even though he's out preaching, he's explaining the scriptures, they didn't add to their Bible knowledge. And so, as Paul writes, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Because you see, everything seems backwards in eyes that despise. It's like, wait, wait, to be, to be set free, I gotta surrender to you? Uh, to be rich, I gotta give my stuff away? Um, to be significant, I have to serve everyone. Uh, no thank you, no thank you, no thank you. But you see, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise because their wisdom can't save them because they're only wise in their own eyes. So God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong because true power comes from a soft heart, not a hard body. God chose what is low and despised in the world 
So how can his kindness not be despised in the eyes of the world? Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are because they actually aren't, even if they seem like they really, really are. So that no human being might boast, might think they can boast in the presence of God. Because, boy, that kind of thinking will blind you to the fact, the cold, hard fact, that you are earnestly seeking the source of your death and that he alone, he is the source of your life in Christ Jesus whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and redemption. Because we aren't and we can't and we won't on our own without receiving a soft heart and his spirits to bump, bump, bump us along and move us through love and gratefulness. But sadly, his kindness is repulsively blinding to the egotistic self-serving which is why I, I find it so easy to do. Because this isn't limited to the high and mighty. In fact, you want to know who I think is a, an incredible candidate for the hardest heart in the Bible? That thief. The thief that mocked Jesus as he hung next to him. I mean, my goodness, he is minutes from death and inches from life, but his hardness holds him back from easily receiving what's being so freely offered at his fingertips. He even has an example of the other guy on the other side of Jesus. Both criminals, we're told, both criminals began the day by mocking Jesus on their crosses. But as the day wore on, the heart of the sun softened just one. One of the criminals, this is the hard one, one of the criminals who hung there hurled more, more insults. They'd been insulting him all day. Hurled insults at him. But the other criminal rebuked him. He had a heart change. Don't you fear God, he said. We're, we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. How does he know? Did he follow him around in ministry? No, he's talking about what he's doing on the cross, how he's reacting to all the people that are coming by and insulting him. What he's doing about these two guys insulting him. He's done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Notice he doesn't say, take me into your kingdom. This guy has a broken heart. He's been cut to the heart. He just says, remember me. Could you just remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus says, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you'll be with me. You'll be with me in paradise. Two condemned criminals waiting for death next to Jesus. Both start out mocking, but the same sun who hardens the one melts the other. Same Jesus, same love. Same authority. Mark comments on this. Mark says, with him they also crucified two robbers. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Whenever you see, so the scripture was fulfilled in the New Testament, is a bookmark to the Old Testament. And so we take that and we go, oh, goodness, it's Isaiah 53. He has a lot more to say about this. And I'm not going to give it all to you. You can go read it. But here's what I will give you. The context right around that where... Uh, 
He's talking to God and he says, when you make his soul an offering for sin. So we're talking about the cross, the moment. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. It's that guy. It's that guy. He's the first. Because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with those transgressors. That thief, the soft one, not the hard one. That thief was the first soft heart to be carried back home. And according to Isaiah, Jesus died satisfied because he wasn't going home empty-handed. He's taken the one thing we can take with us when we go. So don't despise the true riches of God's mercy on all the people you can't stand. Just before Jesus poured out his soul unto death, he basically says to this guy, you want me to remember you? <laughs> ah, hey, I'll catch you on the other side. And he did. Moses received living words to pass on to us, but our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They refused to pay attention. That's what they did. They refused to pay attention stubbornly. They turned their backs and stopped up their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint, would not listen. I've told you this before, I'll remind you, every Sunday before I come up here, every, every service, both services every Sunday, I ask the Lord to open our eyes and to unstop our ears and to soften our hearts and to draw us near. That's my prayer, every, that's it. It's my prayer for myself, it's my prayer for you. Because I want us to be uh, warm and fuzzy and moving in, on Sunday mornings. Because I went to a dead church once. No, thank you. No, thank you. I, I prefer my church as living. Warm and fuzzy. Moving. Because I'll tell you, that rigor mortar, that's what I'm calling it. See what I did there? That rigor mortar starts setting in long before we're wishing me under that blanket. You know the blanket I'm referring to, right? The one at the funeral home. And so today, today, right now, if you whoever you are, hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts. I mean, I told you, I told you this is where I grew up, right? But what do you know? I'm still trying to treat you cats. <laughs> I just got me a much bigger box and a miraculous vet. Let's pray. Father God, you are the potter, we are the clay. We love you and worship you and put, put ourselves in your merciful hands. Holy Spirit, soften our heart, add to our faith and keep shaping us into what you intend to. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for the immeasurable riches of your incredible kindness. And everybody said, amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.